My guest today is the head of sales of Mia at Patsnap. And here's what some of his colleagues say about him. What makes Alan stand out from the rest is his intellect and how much he cares for individuals he manages. Here's another one. Alan is a great coach, always eager to share best practice and mentor reps in order to help them in their personal developments. Alan has been one of the most influential characters in my career to date. I respect him most for his ability to give birth to a culture within a company. And Alan is a top class sales leader who always gets the best out of those who work for him. Alan Singh Havara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Paul. It's uh, it's an honour to, to to be here. I do appreciate that, and uh, yeah, you're making me sound uh, really, really good. Which, um, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, you've clearly read my LinkedIn messages, but um, I hopefully, do. I can <laughs> do uh, some justice to reflect that in reality. <laughs> I say to every guest, I didn't make them up. They're yours. They're on your profile. So uh, kudos to you. Um, so tell me a little bit, Alan. Tell me a little first of all, because I. I Notice something on your LinkedIn that I want to talk about in terms of your education, but I'll come to that later on. Tell me a little bit about, first of all, where you grew up, what sort of a childhood that was. Sure. Okay. So taking a trip down memory lane, I guess. Um, so I actually was born in, in London. So I grew up in Northwest London around the sort of Camden area. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents were originally from a country called Laos, which you may or may not have heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a country next to sort of Vietnam. Cambodia type of area but um, I was pretty much born and bred in London um, grew up there uh, went to an all boys school and um, yeah was educated edu- educated here very good um, I wanted to talk to you about the education side because you said something else that has even piqued my interest more because I saw that you had two degrees from Middlesex University one in business studies I one in traditional Chinese medicine. Correct. Yeah. But you said you grew up in Laos, so kind of have square that circle for me. Yeah. So that's an interesting one. So my first degree was at Middlesex, uh, studying business economics, mm. and uh, I was like maybe a lot of graduates graduating, didn't really understand what I wanted to do. I don't know how common that is now, but it certainly was quite common at that era anyway. Um, so I fell into sales. Um, telesales, you know, for a company called Pitney Bowes, really good education, really good training, making 100 to 150 calls a day, um, sort of like what I would class as typical old school type selling, here's your phone, here's your list, you know, make calls and make money happen. Um, and I then evolved into a team leadership position, I guess that was my first insight into sort of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had an appetite more to understand sales in a bit more detail so what was what i was sort of crying out for was more sort of the consultative approach so i then moved into telecommunications um and was a business development manager there for about three years okay in the city so call that my city job let's just say and then an interesting part was no particular reason like i've got a background in martial arts Mm-hmm. So I actually teach martial arts and it's something that I've been doing since I was a teenager. Of course, the time does not reflect my ability, by the way, just putting that caveat there. Um, it, it, it means that it's um, been an influence of, of mine, let's just say. Yes. And um, I, I've always had, um, so I'm not of Chinese descent, my wife is, but I've mm-hmm. always had an interest in sort of Chinese culture, mm-hmm. um, doing the martial arts and 
then I started to think about the more holistic side of things, for example, acupuncture mm. and um, traditional Chinese medicine in terms of like herbs, making decoctions yeah. and whatnot. So I guess I had that moment in reflection, being in the city, being in a rat race and just thought, okay, well, maybe there's a bit more meaning to doing things. Mm -hmm. So uh, being me, um, and it was quite brave or foolish at that time, just decided to just quit my city job, which I was doing pretty well at. Uh, as a young professional, you know, climb up the ranks and then go back into full time education for four years to study traditional Chinese medicine. That was brave. Yeah. And when I think back, it, I'm pleased with the experience because it's definitely influenced me a lot. But most 24, 25 years, I would have thought don't really do that when their career started to. You know, when the party started, I, I kind of just left before the party finished, let's just say. I wanted to ask you, first of all, just out of personal curiosity, when you said you did uh, martial arts, what style? Yeah, so it's a style called Wing Chun. I'm from very familiar. Yeah, so um, most people would have seen maybe the film by Donnie Yen, Yip yes. One, which is IP man, spelled. Um, that was the uh, system that, uh, he was actually the teacher of Bruce Lee. That's probably how Wing Chun became more famous. Yeah, I did that for nearly three years when I lived in Nottingham. Oh, nice. But that's a long time. That was, I lived in, I worked in GPT in late 88 to nine, just, yeah, early 90, 1990. Mm. Then I moved and I, I was injured as well. And I kind of fell off the wagon a little bit then and came back and did take one years later. But but yeah, Wing Chun, I loved, absolutely loved. Mm. I loved the philosophy behind it as well. Yeah, exactly. And it was very much, I think, just on that topic of martial arts. And I think that has been a big influence in my life. And um, it's more than just kicking and punching. It's it's a lot more to do with like the discipline, the philosophy, which is yeah. the part that really interested me as well. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm curious... Anytime I speak to people who come from an immigrant family, sure, uh, particularly from when I say a very different culture, for example, here is what I mean. There's many Irish who went to England, but sure. the Irish English culture aren't that radically different, right? We watch each other's TV programs, we play each other's, right? But the Chinese culture is very different. Um, sorry, La sorry, your wife you said your wife is Chinese. I beg your pardon. Um, what was that like growing up, you know, as a kind of a native Londoner, yeah. but in an immigrant family? Yes, that's a, that's a good question. So um, I'm, I'm pretty open and transparent, so I, I don't mind sort of sharing. Um, it was tough on, in some respects. Um, I mean, I myself, not, not that I want to put it down to sort of race or anything like that, but I did go to a, a school which there wasn't a lot of diversity, let's just say. Um, and that's kind of like what brought me more into martial arts. I wouldn't go as far as saying I was bullied, but let's just say, you know, you, you do experience things a bit different or maybe I looked upon it differently. Um, I made a lot of good friends. I had a lot of good experiences, but there was always that lingering side, let's just say, uh, which I'm happy to share. Um, but more from maybe an immigrant family or, you know, from my parents' background, you know, my my parents were very hardworking, let's just say. Um, both mum and dad, at one point, my mum even had two jobs sort of to help raise the family. Um, she was a bit more the, the front runner, let's just say, slightly the more the assertive one in the relationship. 
Um, but that definitely influenced me in terms of like making me understand a bit more about my values. Mm. So I'm very big on values, human values. And um, I would say a lot of my values were being kind of like defined or shaped around those times. Mm -hmm. Talk to me then what those values are. How, how would you describe them? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So I think honesty is, is definitely a value that uh, has a lot of values, excuse the pun. Um, so the way I look at honesty, and it's not my definition, it's actually one of my coaches. So I actually have executive coaching, by the way, just to let you know. Um, and I like the definition. It's the most accurate representation of yourself from the inside reflecting out. Mm. Yeah, I like the, the most accurate. Okay? Mm. And I think it's hard for us to understand how to be honest, especially maybe at that younger age, because we're still trying to learn about ourselves. So how can you be honest if you're still trying to discover yourself? And I think honesty is also a journey. And then what I've also learned is that values also learn to combine with other values. So you can't just say honesty, you know, there are other things that combine with honesty, like to be honest, you have to also be integral, which is another value. Mm. You know, to be completely truthful and wholesome to yourself. So maybe we're getting a little bit deep, but let, let's just say. No, this I, is a... I don't mind. I, I wouldn't. I, I, I think this is an interesting topic because it's something everybody faces. Sure. Everybody has their own relationship with with values. And a lot of them are, you know, everybody's going to say, yeah, honesty, that's a value I have. Mm. But not everybody understands that. I'm interested in the way you described it as the most accurate. Mm. That's, it's, 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 you can almost miss that, yeah. but it's important because I think we often tell ourselves stories which can distort our own interpretation of the real world, which will in turn distort how we define honest or when we're being honest, for example. So somebody might say, I'm being honest, but somebody else might disagree with that because they have a different interpretation of what honesty means. And, and, and that's when it gets interesting. And it was something I just, out of personal curiosity, I wanted to ask you as well, was the bit I struggle with, and we kind of can get into authenticity and these kind of topics as well as part of this, is that sometimes it's very hard to be honest because the a person maybe we're relating to some, let's say somebody has asked you for feedback on something, mm -hmm. but they're not very good at taking feedback. In other words, if you give them honest feedback, like I didn't like it, mm -hmm. whatever it is, whatever it is, they get defensive. And then they, sure. they, it's more important to them to be right than to discover really what the feedback was about. And then you kind of go, I don't want that hassle. So I'm just going to tell them what they want me to tell them. Yeah. So you're not really being honest but then, yeah, I, I'm, we're getting deeper, Paul. Because it's not a bad yeah. thing. We're getting deeper. That's a that's a that's a very interesting interesting topic, um, especially yeah. as far as I'm concerned, because that then starts to feed into: Are you actually being honest to yourself? Mm. Right. And I think in my experience, I mean, of course, everyone has a right to interpret the definition of honesty as they will, but yeah. there's also a difference between honesty and judgment. That's true. That's yeah. true. 
and and would it then? I'm I'm thinking as we talk is that depends on the question you ask yourself. For example, in the, in the example I gave you, where somebody's asking for feedback, if you ask yourself, "Do I want the hassle of this person getting the hump because I was honest with him?" Well, if I'm being honest with myself, I don't want the hassle. So <laughs> you can see how, how we can twist this. Sure. No, of course, of course. And, and of course, everyone has the right to prioritize the time of who they spend with and what they talk about. Mm. Right. But mm. I, I think on that occasion, I mean, if it's someone that you are engaging on an everyday basis, I would sort of question if you approach it that way over a period of time, what would that dishonesty to you eventually do? It could build up to resentment. It could build up to anger. So I think certain things passing by comments is completely fine. Yeah. Um, and I would say I would agree that like all feedback is good as good as it is heard, let's just say. Mm. Like if someone gives you feedback that, you know, I don't like you, that's not really specific. Like, why don't they like you? So mm. we can obviously go down that path, but mm. yeah, depends how you take honesty, I guess. <laughs> sure, sure. It's just one of those topics we could discuss forever. It is interesting. However, tell me a little bit about then from when you were younger, what were the kind of things that motivated you the most? Yeah, so... It took me a bit of time to really understand like what drove me um, because I actually was quite, quite a quiet individual. So I've got a brother. He he tend, he, he was the more extroverted and I would say, say the more introverted. Um, but I think it was just more of a case of it took me a bit of time to really understand and, and find my voice, let's just say. So I didn't realize at that time um, how much I, I really was ambitious to drive for excellence. Mm -hmm. call it ambition um so i was very motivated by at that time as you would you know you're being influenced by what you see on tv it's all about you know climbing the, the ranks you know when i was really really young i i always thought hopefully i could be a, a stockbroker one day and sort of live that type of lifestyle but that obviously didn't happen um mm -hmm. but i think what really drove me was if i go in an internal perspective it, it was very much about you know, making my parents proud as well. I do come from that cloth where it's like you see what your parents go through mm. and they try to create the best environment for you and then it's really down to you to then make the most of it. Mm -hmm. So kind of didn't want to let mum and dad down. Um, mm. But at the same time, you know, I've always been quite a competitive person in a healthy way to myself. Mm. And um, what I realise is I've, I've, I've always had a thirst for learning and, and developing. Now, I mentioned I've got an executive coach. It's really what interests me about that is is, is being able to sort of ha have those conversations, have those key topics from a development standpoint. And I think what I've also learned, and maybe we're, we're sidetracking slightly, as, a, as someone who has the platform to make a difference to people from a growth perspective, be it coaching, be it managing, I think what I've also learned in my career is that that is one of the big things that a lot of managers or even sales leaders can neglect mm. the ability to, to grow yourself in order to then grow others. I mean, my martial arts teacher gives the analogy, like in order for others to drink from your well, you need to make sure your well is full. Mm. So I try and adopt that philosophy to ensure that I'm giving myself what I need in order then to provide and add value to others. Mm. Many people who listen to this, or some people, I guess, will have coaches like you have, and some wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't do it 
in a, in a month of Sundays. And then there's others who have kind of thought about it, but maybe they haven't reached that decisive moment that, that I think you have to get to. There's something happens. There's a pivotal moment in your journey where you kind of think this would be good for me. I'm curious to know what was yours. Yeah. Now just to put it out there, you, you don't need to have a coach. Um, it's something I've not had most of my career. Um, but there are resources like podcasts, like even listening to forums like this, which I think are really valuable. But I think for me, it was more a case of, you know, we, we talk a lot about investments, you know, stock market and, and whatnot. And I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, one of the best investments you can make is in yourself. And I think it kind of really hit me more last year, especially like during the pandemic, when you have a lot of time of reflection and you're isolated and you're working from home. And I sort of felt like I needed that little bit more. So I would say that was my aha moment. Right. And what is it that you get from the relationship? I think someone who can give me honesty, <laughs> right, on that topic. I think that's really important. Um, I'm a firm believer that no matter how high you go, just call it high in terms of hierarchy, not that I'm fixated by titles, but um, you need someone to also be able to keep you in check and keep you on the ground. Now, you mm. can do that from your own perspective. I call that self-awareness. Mm -hmm. I think it's quite healthy also to have somebody that can challenge you in a good way, um, mm. but also at the same time, someone with the experience that has also worked with, like my coaches worked with executives, people like, you know, far much more experienced or uh, higher in rank than myself. But um, mm. to have that level of experience and be able to sort of learn and, and share ideas, that's really sort of where I think that comes from. And how much of, of that is personal development, exploration of your own emotions and your own response to the world versus career progression and job-related challenges and issues? Yeah, I love that question. So the term, you know, work from home balance, I think, the evolution of that is really more work from home integration. You know, I'm sitting here talking to you, Paul, and my wife's downstairs in the kitchen. Mm. <laughs> so I think for me, it's more, you know, business and personal mm. are so much more linked than ever before. So to answer your question, I would say like the coaching aspect feeds into all aspects. So for example, how I am, and, and this is also what I've learned, you know, being in my position, it's obviously high pressure. You have targets and whatnot. You have accountability. Um, and the reality is, you know, how we feel and how we handle that can feed into our personal lives, right? I've, I've gone through a journey of also, and my wife's been a big coach. Like, you know, when you work for a high growth company, like you're not the only one that feels it. Mm. You're, you know, your partner may feel it, right? Because they're sort of going through that journey with you. So I think for me to, to, to be able to talk to someone, but also have the coaching. And the principles are the same, by the way, I think. A mm. lot of business principles do feed into personal aspects. And I think just having that form to sort of keep me in check also enables me to be a better husband, believe it or not, and a better father. And I think that's really the objective here. It's not just about making me best so that I can perform better for the company. It's mm. about making Alan better so Alan is a better human being and as a better human being can then 
hopefully be a better sales leader or a company representative type of thing. So that's kind of how I look at it. And when you say better, what did what do you have? What does that mean? Because that, that's such a nebulous term. It is. So better for me means basically someone that is able to really live by their key values in everything they do. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm honest at work, I'm honest at home. It's the same thing as far as I'm concerned. I'm being true to that too. And I think for me, you know, if someone was to ask me, like, what's your leadership style? Well, the first way I would answer that is ask my team because they're the best people to assess me at that. But in terms of how I would strive to lead, and we've heard different terms like servant leadership and whatnot, I would just simply say, I strive to be a leader that leads with values. Simple as that. Okay, I like that. I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, you said that you you were you you were working and then went back to college to study uh, traditional Chinese medicine. Correct. Talk to me then about from that point where you kind of got back into the mainstream workplace. Yeah. What happened in that? So after the four years, um, of course, you know, you need to go back into to the workforce, right? So I actually um, set up my own traditional Chinese medicine clinic. I had my own little center and it was just me, by the way. So what I was doing, was I was doing acupuncture during the day. Um, and herbal medicine with patients and in the evening I was actually teaching martial arts um, that was a big turning point so in your late 20s you know to start your own business I think is pretty brave especially to do it on your own yes. um, but I'm I'm you know very happy to admit unfortunately it didn't work Ooh. so I ran the business for about six to eight months you know you have the overheads of you know um, rent and, and all the business rates and whatnot and um I had to make a, a very um, a serious call about what mm -hmm. I do and then what I wanted to do. Um, so I decided to sort of close that business down and then off the back of that came back into the sales mm. force. I also think in those, some of those businesses, in, 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 well, let's, let's call it alternative medicine. Right? Sure, or uh, complementary, if you want to be politically better, correct. Better, but yeah. Complementary is that they don't pay, the, the, the money's not great. It's very hard to charge because the, the public money isn't behind it. Yeah. I was with a cardiologist last week and another sleep specialist I had to go to. I literally got five minutes with him, 150, 250 euros, bang, bang, bang. I, you, you can't do that in complementary medicine. Mm. Therefore, making a business work, particularly, I actually think you can make a business work like that when you're retiring. Because sure. It's a nice lifestyle type of job, yes, right? Yeah. Exactly, but do it. So it's not that you failed at it; it's just the timing of it. I think mm. is that when you're trying to do it, when you when you need money most, and you need more security. It's it's the timing. Yeah, that there isn't. You know, there's a market for it, absolutely. But uh, it is a lifestyle business, unfortunately. But it is the way with it. Um. So okay. So then. When, when I came across your name first, Alan, I saw Pat Snap. My initial reaction was, is this a camera company for Irish people? Oh, right. Okay. We've not, I've not heard that one before, but yeah, interesting. <laughs> so, I'm curious. Just Could you share with us, many people wouldn't have heard of the company, what kind of challenges, problems do you solve? Sure. So it's a very interesting space. So the area that we focus is innovation. So imagine you're like a VP of R&D, you're Oof. coming up with the next iPhone 
15, for example, right? It's not as simple as just coming out of a product and then taking it to market. There's a lot of research that has to happen. There's a lot of data points. You might need to find different partners. You, know, you might need to do, for example, um, research on the market to understand if there's any potential risk of litigation. So what PatSnap essentially does is it, uh, using artificial intelligence, streamlines different data points to then provide insight to these innovators of the world so they can make better key decisions. Right. It's the... Uh... As soon as you mention artificial intelligence, I always kind of think, okay, what's going on in that? <laughs> sure. so, um, like you said to me, it's it's research. So, for example, you might look from a naming convention point of view around the world. What does this name mean? Mm-hmm. You know, lots of stories where people or companies have named products that when you translate them into other languages, they have <laughs> sometimes uh, quite devastating meanings. Like I remember Vauxhall, uh, the car company owned by Opel, not everybody would know it as Vauxhall. Um, they, they came out with a car called the Nova, which in sure. Spanish means won't go. Like, <laughs> what's that? you got to name a car, it won't go. <laughs> uh, it's kind of unfortunate. Of course, it flopped in the Spanish market. Is that... Is, is that the kind of area, because I kind of understand, how does AI help in that area, I guess is what I'm asking, versus more traditional type of research would be desk-based and internet search-based, where you'd have a human doing the sure, work. Sure, So one thing about innovation is there's so many different data points that you can analyze. So you might look at patent data, you might look at VC funding, you might mm. look at government grants for example okay so the challenge with that is how do you interpret that and also what data points do you use depending what question you're asking so if you can imagine big data there's loads of different data points that's really where the ai part ai part comes in to really mine that data make sense of it and then contextualize it in a way that okay say paul you know you want to know who's playing in this particular space with electric vehicles how do you get that information in a way that you can then digest and then say, okay, we now know this, we're going to do that as a result. We're going to bet our investments in this area mm. and we have the data points to, to validate that. That's kind of like where we come in. It sounds to me like the net result is you're helping people to shorten their time to market. Yes. But lengthening the time to market is very costly, as you know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's a big problem that we do solve. Exactly. Yeah, I remember seeing a a presentation by a guy and he was talking about new companies. I think it was the guy who wrote Crossing the Chasm. I could be wrong with that, but it was that kind of thing. And he said the number one factor determining the success of startups was their timing. The number one. wasn't how brilliant the idea or the executives or anything else, but the timing. And if you miss that window, it doesn't make a difference what kind of, how great your product is. You could come up with a great Facebook competitor in the morning and it would go nowhere. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. All right, no, I, I, I like that idea. I, like that. Uh, I also noticed, if you don't mind me asking, there was a, because on, on, it's on your LinkedIn profile, so it's public, uh, you were for a past snap and then you left and you came back. I have met with many people over the years who have done something similar. They've worked with an organization and they have different reasons for leaving. Sometimes it's a bump in salary, sometimes... They were just in a role that they, they were in a rut. They wanted something different. Other times it was a more strategic kind of step. I'm just curious to know, uh, are there advantages? Now that you've done that, would you advise other people to do something similar? 
or is it best to kind of just stick with the same company and, and work things out? Yeah, sure. So I'll answer that. In, in Cantonese, gokyan, goklo, basically means every person their own path. Okay. Mm. So I would say, would I advise it? Well, it really depends. Um, mm. Every path's different. But uh, in my case in particular, um, I had spent just over five years in PatSnap. And um, that was probably one of the best, if not best, times of my career. I, I you know, I clearly grew there. Um, and it had the right time for so, so many elements, as you mentioned, poor timing. You know the right culture the right product and we grew literally for like from zero to you know x millions plus in a short space of time um i mean when i first joined the company it was literally like eight people in the sales office and by the time i left we were like you know over 130 plus i'm just talking about within london mm. let alone global um so the natural question is like why did i return i truly believe that pat snap has a, a great opportunity to define a category, which is what we're looking to do. There isn't really anyone in the innovation space per se in SaaS. You know, like Salesforce is like the key, you know, godfather of SaaS. You've got Workday. We don't really have anyone in the innovation space. So we are, I think, on a good trajectory to sort of reach that. Um, and it'd be nice if we hit a, a milestone along the way, for example, maybe an IPO or whatnot. Um, I think the most important thing, obviously, is to build a good business. And if we were to hit maybe a milestone, I wanted to, one, uh, have the opportunity to, to maybe ring the bell uh, mm. at the NASDAQ with some of the co-founders who I have very good relationships with. That's maybe a bit of a personal drive on my side. Um, but at the same time, when I really think about the five years and the blood, sweat and tears that went into that, I thought it was more fitting to sort of go on that journey. And that's the reason why I don't like to say I went back because back is like a backward connotation. I would say I rejoined mm. um, for part two, in my words, okay. <laughs> of the journey. No, I, I get a personal curiosity because I worked with an organization back. Actually, I mentioned that I worked for GPT in Nottingham and then I left to join this other company. And um, I was there two years and I left because we wanted to go, I'm trying to remember the, the exact, anyway, it doesn't matter. I just, what I do remember though, having left it, and a couple of people trying to persuade me not to do it, I was almost within a month, I had regretted leaving. And I just, yeah, because, and it wasn't to do with the company where they were, because they were a well-established company. I just missed the people and I, I, there were people I really, really enjoyed. And I just, I took it for granted. And I assumed that it would be the same elsewhere. And it wasn't. It was a very different culture. And, yeah, that, that was my reason. And I guess, I, and you're right, I, don't ask me to, to I can't really. <laughs> yeah. Um, Every person walks their own path. That's the easy way to do it. I love that. I absolutely, absolutely love that. It's a great philosophy for life, for sure. Um, how much does the, the discipline of... Kung Fu influence your approach to leadership? Yeah, so that's, um, that's a very interesting question. So Kung Fu, as well as, I would say, Chinese medicine, by the way, Paul, um, I think in terms of martial arts, it's just broaden it out slightly. I think you definitely learn discipline, mm. you know, being able to keep to routine. Mm. Um, you know, it, it does... Uh, place a big emphasis on philosophy, how you approach things. 
Um, because the martial arts for me is really a, about the self-awareness to really understand yourself as a person. And you'll know that from, for example, your first session, you go in there, the instructor might ask you to do 30 push-ups, and you realize that you can only do three. Mm. That's, a, that's, that's gold dust. Mm. You can't do 30, but how do you then get to do 30? So I think it also has that positive connotation, but really like how it influenced me in terms of my career was more around the teaching side, mm. like teaching and coaching um, mm. are very similar. I mean, I define coaching as the ability to, to train, guide and to motivate a certain in, individual to a better outcome. Mm-hmm. So I like the, the training aspect because I think in my opinion, a good coach needs to be able to train, you need to be able to embark um, and share that knowledge. But the coaching or the guiding side specifically is that a coach is not there, in my opinion, to provide the answer. It's to help guide the person to get to the answer. Now, let, let, can I just want to pause there for a second because sure. you said things that in my mind are two different things. So like, I was often told that training and coaching are very different things. Training is giving people the skills. Correct is helping them implement it and find it within them or un- unblocking whatever it is. But you had said that part of coaching was training and maybe I confused the two. Yeah, so maybe I wasn't specific. So I would say it's training, coaching and motivating and all ah, three of those are separate. Yeah, exactly. So I agree with you on the training aspect, but the coaching is more about guiding that person mm. to the answer. Yes. And yes, they so are different, very different, I would agree. Yeah. Um, because when I when I think about the discipline that's involved in in martial arts and any endeavor really, uh, but but certainly I think it's it's more evident there that if you break it down, there's the behavior. What do we do on a daily basis? What's our goal? What are our plans? What's our you know the, the energy and vitality that we bring to that? How do we look after our diet and so on? There's the technique which you're learning, you're developing, and you're growing all Correct. the time. Yeah. And it's the mindset that goes with that, yeah. overcoming fear and finding your own motivation. Having the confidence to do it as well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That mm. I would have thought that it's the dynamics of that model in martial arts is different to say a discipline like acupuncture. For example, if you stop training in martial arts for a couple of months, your techniques are immediately impacted and yeah. you break habits and that will affect your mindset and so on. And it's requires a huge effort to kind of get back in the race again. Whereas if it's a more like if I'm a doctor or an accountant or acupuncture or where I'm working, I think it's still, I, I could be wrong. I could be absolutely wrong with this. Mm. I see this, the dynamic of that is different. Yeah. But, but, but the, the behavior, the technique, the practice and the skill sets and the mindset absolutely exist. No, I and agree. And, and maybe just to touch on that, if I give an example, if you're teaching a technique, for example, okay, there's a technical aspect, how to do it. Yeah. And, and then you show and you, you, you perform it. The other mm. part of it is, is the also coaching, like getting the person to really think about why they're doing it a certain way. Mm. Okay. And then the motivation part, in my opinion, I do feed this back into sales is you should demonstrate, you should have that person feel how it works because people believe what they see. So I think that aspect as well, just if I, you know, using that technique as an example, you can apply that to, to sales, right? Mm. You know, training a rep on a, on a certain part of the sales cycle and then coaching them, getting them to think, but also then demonstrating 
and also I think in my opinion you know this is just my opinion but like any person that is in the business of sales should know how to sell to some extent for sure yeah <laughs> but here's the thing that I see that's missing so really paint a picture of these models that you can overlay so in sales also behavior attitude technique or sure. constituent constituent elements however I remember with with Wing Chun specifically, but any martial arts, is the repetition, repetition, repetition in terms of practice. And we used to, our instructor used to have us uh, close our eyes and you'd stand in front of your partner and you'd go through certain moves, blocking, blocking, blocking. I can see you still got the moves, Paul. <laughs> by the way, that's well, they're not they're not right, but but they're kind of vaguely kind of in that motion. But I, I remember distinctly, you know, with your eyes closed and you're blocking, right? And 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 and, and I, I could still kind of the, the muscle memory is almost there. It wouldn't take too much to bring it back. But yeah. my point was, it was repetition, repetition, repetition. Yes. Build that subconscious autom automatic model. I don't see that we do that in sales enough. I don't see that we do it when it comes to conversations, how we deal with specific questions, objections, scenarios, where we will will it's like it's like as if your instructor said to you okay this is how you do it i'll show you now off you go and and there isn't the first of all are they doing it right element mm -hmm. and two it's not just that but doing it so that it's it's they own it not just know about it but but so it's part of them sure i think that's and i think pitney bows you mentioned pitney bows i think they if my memory no i've never worked there but I have a good friend who used to work there years ago, and he always talked very favorably about just how much it was drilled into you. Yeah. How to deal with specific scenarios. And I think that's lost. I don't see it anymore. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are companies doing it, and I just don't see it. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. I mean, like, to get good at something, you do need to repeat. You need to train. You need to work at it, right? Um, and maybe it's another topic, but it's, you know, working smart and working hard. I actually mm. think you need both. You need to yeah. work hard and you need to work smart. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe you need to work hard at being smart. There's that too. Or be smart <laughs> about how you work hard. That's the yes. other side of it. <laughs> have fun with this. All right. So talk, talk to me then about the, the leadership part of the journey, going from an individual contributor. Now we're in a position where you're managing others. Mm. What sort of a transition was that like for you? Like for you and, what did you learn about yourself in the process? Yeah, so I did good observations. So, you know, as an individual contributor, uh, it's a bit more straightforward. You're like a horse with blinkers, right? You have your number, the support from the company, and you've got to hit or oversee a certain number. But I think I've always, I've always liked to collaborate and share. Mm. Um, I've always, I think this is more from my maybe martial art days. I, I like to see people improve. Mm. So I think what started to give me that intel is when I started to you know help people uh, and people would come to me and I, I thought that was a, a good indicator for me because if someone's coming to ask me questions it usually means hopefully I'm doing a good job at something right mm. um, and that sort of evolved from there and then I moved into sales management and there's a lot of learnings there I think you know moving into management position when you've been in IC there's definitely a, a transition you mm. know you're coming out your comfort zone where it's now about others and not yourself i think most maybe sales leaders that have gone from that sort of ic to manager 
um, would have walked a similar path, but it does teach you a lot about yourself. Mm. You know, you, you have to also be mindful of how you are, um, how you cope with stress and also have the bigger picture in mind and really focus on, again, the training elements. And, you know, yes, we, we want our team to get to a certain result, but mm. what are we actually doing? You know, how are we actually supporting those individuals to then get to that point? So I think that was a real sort of transition for me to go from me to them, let's just say. And then what is it that you most enjoy about your job? Yeah, and I still today, I still have that feeling. I think what I feel honoured and privileged in terms of what I'm able to do on a day-to-day basis is, is really add value to people. Mm. To, to really influence and, and make people better. That's mm. how I look at leadership, to serve, but to make people better. You know, it, yeah. there's a saying, a good leader has the ability to produce other leaders. I haven't heard that before. I yeah. like that. And, and that's, that's kind of how I look at it. And I think, you know, every engagement, you know, whether I'm working with an SDR or an account executive or some of my management team, it's all about being able to improve that person to make mm. them a better version of themselves. And not just from a business standpoint, and this is where, you know, the coaching has also helped me because when I get coached, I can then share. So yeah. some of the things I'm learning and it's really interesting how that works because people I think are, are looking for more purpose. I think people are, to be honest, more motivated by purpose than money. Mm. Well, I'm I'm getting that impression a lot actually. Now, of course, in sales, a lot of it is commercially driven, but is that what keeps you there? Is that what gets you up in the morning? I think you need a bit more purpose, and certainly, I'm more influenced in that way. Is that something that's become more prevalent? Do you think with the younger generation? Possibly. Um, I mean. You know, I do a lot of interviews and it's really in- interesting why people stay or leave companies these days. And mm. the majority of time, it's it's always a common um, theme. It's learning and development and growth. They don't really feel like they're progressing. So whether that's a generational thing, I, I'm not sure. But um, I know it's definitely a, a big factor now. Is that an excuse, though? I'm just wondering because <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll tell you why I say that. I have seen many people come in and say SDRs, BDRs and organizations, and it takes a couple of years minimum to master that role if you really do it well. But they want to leave it within a year. They've never really, they're always looking for something before they've fully mastered what they're already at. So that's one thing. But the other thing is, like most, most progressive organizations now give people an allowance in some form or other to go and pursue learning and development. Sure. And like, I'd be interested. Being, here's a really interesting experiment. I don't interview a lot. Of, I've done it on behalf of clients occasionally, but it's not often. So I'm, I'm, I'm not the right person to speak to. But I'd be curious to when somebody says they're leaving because of learning and development opportunities, I'd, be, I, I'd like to ask them, tell me about the last good sales book you've read mm-hmm. or the last good business book you've read. Because I used to ask that question. It was one of my go-to questions. And I was shocked by the number of people who couldn't recall. I've never read uh, a sales book or a business book. Or if they did, it was some cliche book, some something somebody gave them at a conference and they skimmed it. So um, I, <laughs> I'm not always convinced by that, um, that excuse. 
because it's 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 it sounds like it's often saying what people want to hear because you know most organizations see themselves as progressive and okay you didn't you didn't uh, learn much but you learned something here um and i don't know i'm 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 maybe i'm being unfair no that's a fair point um i think a lot of it has to do with like who's actually going on that journey with you as well though because mm. like there's books right and you can always do your self-study but you know i think i mean this definitely influenced me from a martial art perspective like when when you go when you learn a martial arts it's not just about what art you do be mm. that the company it's also about who the instructor is too yeah sure you know, i think that's a big part and i think one thing definitely when i was sort of um developing as a leader it's you know i spent a lot of time assessing and analyzing and learning from different leaders as well and i think very similar to to martial arts you know the leader how the leader is does have a big influence on how the companies run you know not to say in self leadership but let's just say if you had quite an arrogant martial arts instructor nine out of ten times the arrogance will be in the student in some way in some form so i think that maybe plays a part in in maybe yeah. why people stay or leave yeah. yeah i do and i think the other attitude which is you'll appreciate i remember before i did the when i lived in india i did the kung fu when i was a teenager i did karate lessons in where i grew up and I remember when I started there, our instructor, he was a brown belt. And I remember him coming in after he got his first damn black belt. And somebody said to him along the lines of, congratulations, you've arrived. You, you've reached the pinnacle. <laughs> and he says, no, mm. I'm just starting. He says, your first Absolutely. damn, you're, you're now now starting the journey. He said, up to that point, you're just really kind of preparing the muscles and the mind to go on that journey. Yeah. And uh, and I'm sure you would agree. I don't know what it's not Dan in Kung Fu. What is it? It's, it's what it depends it? on the system, but you can have belts, so you can have yeah, yeah. It's black sash. That was it. It wasn't sure, that sure. sash, not belt. Sorry, remember now. But uh, I would assume you'd agree also that that martial arts is something that you're never done learning, never. Absolutely. And that's the same in sales and and, and in leadership. You're never done. And um, I think that's the undoing of people as well. As soon as they get to that stage and they think, okay, I know it now, I've got it. Mm. That's the beginning of the end. We have a saying in my school, you know, the moment you, you think you've got it, that's when you lose it. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> I yeah. should have shot because that's far better, a more elegant way of saying it than I said. Yeah. Say that for me again. I think that's great. Yeah. The moment you think you've, got, moment it, you think you've got it, that's when you lose it. That's when you're the moment you think you're there, that's when you're likely to fall rock bottom. Okay, I think that's going to be the title of this podcast. <laughs> the moment you think, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, absolutely, because it is. You know, there've been books written, and what got you there won't get you know what got you to you won't get you to the next place, and all of that kind of good stuff. But I see it again and again. I remember a rep in a class gave some feedback. It was a one day class. And one of the questions was, what will you put into practice that you learn today? And his answer was, nothing. I already know this. And I'm kind of, man, this is... Like, so it wasn't I already know it. I already know Sandra, which is a field of study that you can go on that journey for years and years and years and years. Here is somebody thinking after one day, that's it, I know it now. Mm. And so... Yeah, I think that expression would be a much better way of channeling my frustration in those moments. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. 
I'm sure. Uh, tell us, I wanted to, I'm just conscious of time and talk a little bit about, okay, clearly martial arts is something you do to unwind uh, outside of work. Um, anything else outside of work you do to, just to, to, to relax rather than to develop yourself? Yes, I'm quite a simple person. Um, I, I try to keep things simple. So I'm a, I'm a Buddhist in terms of my religion. And, um, you know, one, one thing that um, one monk said to me that sort of resonates is like, the busier you are, what, what he's trying to do now is, is try to do less rather than more. And I certainly, that certainly resonates. It's, it's really about what you, how you prioritize your time. So I think, you know, being a good family man, I try to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the whole, you know, the whole pandemic has, has made us all really uh, think about what's important to us and appreciate. I mean, you go on LinkedIn, you see things like some people have just given up their jobs and go traveling all around the world. So I think I'm not necessarily looking to do that, but I do think there's a lot of meaning behind that to really um, find time to, to give yourself what you need as well. Um, mm. So for me, it's just simply family life and, and the training aspect. I still train very actively. Um, mm but also the learning side. And I would say one thing that also influenced me, Paul, is, is the Chinese medicine in the sense that if you look at complementary therapy, it's a lot about holistic. Mm. So what I've always said is the way I try to approach um, working with people is to take what I would call like a rep-centric approach. Everyone's mm. different. Look at mm. that person more holistically, take into mm. account all aspects, you know, not just data, look at them, how they are as a person. And I, you know, some people might say that's not really scalable, but you mm. don't necessarily need to put that into a process. It's just more about how you engage with people. I, I, that's interesting. This is one of the things that has disturbed me over the last 18 months, or more than 18 months now, is certainly in this, where I am in Ireland, is our chief medical officer is supposed to have the, the, the health of the nation first and foremost is that our response is to kind of abandon health sure and, and just have this single track there is only one answer to this and you must you must mm. sign up to it or you're a bad person and there's you know there's no there's no focus on health in terms of exercise or vitamins minerals that, uh, you know when i say exercise i don't mean just going for a jog but also maybe meditation sure um, eating well yeah getting good sleep all of the things that holistically can significantly add to your immunity system sure build and work your immunity system none of that is, is is mentioned at all not once it's all you must take this artificial stuff and and it's not a comment on how effective or ineffective that is at all it's just the focus is on that and it's not on health and I, I think we're ser we're really missing out on something because of that. I, and I don't I don't want to get into kind of it's pharma driven or anything else. That's not the point. The point is, and you know, I think there should be greater emphasis on um, and developing a culture of health. Yeah, yeah, mental health as well, right? That's obviously a, a big topic. Yeah. Even though I find it ironic, it's a big topic because. You know, human beings have needed mental well-being since existence, <laughs> but it's just yeah. obviously come more out in the open now. But um, yeah, hundred percent agree. And the thing you said, your your um, 
one of the monks said to you was about doing being more you know have a simpler life yes and you know if you look at the animal kingdom <laughs> sure it got it <laughs> we look down and these are just dumb animals well i have this i have two dogs one of them in particular right he'll go for a run he'll eat he'll rest play occasionally now i know he's looked after he he doesn't have to go out and hunt for his food right i get that mm. But our, you know, lions will, will sleep for 18 hours a day. And they, they, what I'm saying is that... Is they, he happy? I think he's content. <laughs> okay. Right? He leads a simple life. Um, I don't know that happiness is, a, is an emotion that... Well, it is, actually, because if you see lions who meet up with uh, own, uh, trainers or owners, I don't call them owners, uh, after many years, and you see that they, the joy sure. that they're expressing... And so when you see them play with cubs, maybe you know that's their expression of joy. I guess. I mean, we don't know how to interpret it, but um, what I do think simpler is the way to go. It's not more. It's definitely not more. Now it's easy to say that. I think once your your basics are taken care of, you sure. a roof over your head and your house is warm and you got food in your belly. You know, under that point, of course, it's it's different. So I'm not judging that. Of course, um, if you're if you're struggling for the next meal. That's all you have on your mind, and you'll do anything to get it. But uh, for for most of us, we're fortunate enough to work and and, and, and earn. Is we, we spend our time looking for things to spend the money on, hmm. very often. Sure. Rather than kind of figure out how, how can I be more content, and that's I think content is less, not more. Now yeah. I say that, and I'm an up, I'm an utter hypocrite. I know that because I love my cameras and my gadgets, <laughs> phone and my iPad and all, you know my motor. I have all of those things, um, but I know you can be miserable with them too. Hmm. Well, each to their own. But I think for me, um, maybe specific to me, I I know that I have been an overthinker in a period of time, and I think just to try and keep things less complicated has definitely mm. helped me. Yeah. Mm. So is that what you meant by less complicated? Not so much things, but thoughts. Both. I mean, there's only so much you can do, right, as well. Um, therefore, you know, prioritize things, but also thinking. I mean, part of, you know, I, I try to, um, I call it like mind training, but basically it's another word for meditation. I try to do mm. that every morning just to, again, when you meditate, you know, simply for me, my definition of meditation is just to learn how to quiet your mind. At a basic mm. level, you know, so think so many things going on. Uh, how much time do we spend on a daily basis just to be mindful? You know, without yeah. trying to turn this into that sort of well, <laughs> well-being topic, but you know, I think that yeah. definitely helps. No, for sure. And you know what, the opposite of that is, and I'm guilty of this, and I'm struggling with it to be honest. Is when you open up something like Twitter, instead of quieting, <laughs> okay. quieting your mind, it does the opposite. Yeah. And that's not good. It's not a good way to start the day. I know that. And as I said, I'm guilty. There's a, it's like the way I liken it is you ever had a, a, a rash on your legs, like a, like an itch, like something that's really driving you mad. The, the, the itch is crazy. Okay. But the thing is you're scratching it so hard and you know that scratching it is not going to just, it's, but it's that immediate relief and you scratch it till you're hurt. Mm. And that's a weird, right? So you, you end up then more hurt than you were, but at least you're not itchy. And 
and I think there's something in that, like the itch drives you mad, the hurt you can, the pain, I should say, from over-scratching. Sure. Easier to tolerate in some strange way. And I think we do that often with our minds. We'll, 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 we'll doom scroll yeah. on something. And I don't think it sets us up for a productive day where our job, as you described it, is to make leaders mm-hmm. and to serve and help others. Sure. It's probably a, the wrong diet. Yeah, always easier said than done, though, Paul. Always easier said than done. I'm saying that to try and come to terms with my own pseudo addiction to uh, to that stuff, just to get away from it, and uh, it's not good. It's not good. We're going to leave it there in a second. I just had two very final, quick questions for you, Alan. Sure. I ask everybody the same question: Your house is burning down. Your family are safe. Uh, you have time to run back in and grab one object. It's not can't be your phone or your computer. What would it be? That's a really good question. Um, I wouldn't go back in. Okay. You're sure it's safe? <laughs> Is it safe? Okay, if it's safe, it's different. Um, no, I, I wouldn't because... What 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 I would have is already there. What I need is my family. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Is it, yeah. like, so, sometimes, like I have, I talk to people. This camera over here. I um, I, I would if I had time. Oh, right. I said there's a humor aspect to that. Okay. So maybe I'm taking it too literal. Um, what would I go back and get? That's a really good question, actually. I actually have an answer, Paul. No, <laughs> That's how simple I am, Paul. That's how simple I am. <laughs> Keep it simple. Also, if you can think of what it is, it's probably not a good idea to go back in if your house is on fire because yeah. <laughs> you got to look at around all. What can I tell you? Because you did start by saying your house is on fire, but your family's safe. Like, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't no, have... <laughs> yeah. no it's, it's sometimes people have something sentimental that they can think of immediately, and others, most stuff can be replaced. That's a fact. Yeah. Um. And one final question, when your time on this planet is done and if there's a book written about your life, what would you like the title to be? Wow, that's that's a really good one, isn't it? That's a good interview question, actually, Paul. I'll take a leaf from that. Um, <laughs> the title would be, can, can you give me an example? Give me an example of one that you've been giving. Well, I, Let I, me buy a bit of time here. Sometimes people will go, he was a good family man. For example, mm. I actually think I have one for you, to each their own. Just what you said, or you know the yeah, power. that's true. So um, I would say, yeah, title would be. I, I, I thought that would make a great title for a book in terms of how you live your life. Um, okay, he lived. He was a person with good values, and he appreciated mm-hmm. that each to their own. Yeah. No, good right. values and each to their own. There you go. It's a title. Right? Good values and each to their own. There you go. All right, All right. Alan Singh Havara. Thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been thank an you, honor. Paul.